That's right. I can, I can move ahead for a sec while we wait for that one to get going. Um, so I, I uh, thank you again for, uh, for, for coming along today. It's been a month, apparently, since I was last up here, which I think might be a good thing for all of you. You're not having to hear my voice uh, every week. But um, I, might, uh, I, I might do a quick read-through of where we're up to and then the next couple of verses, because I think context is important in each of these circumstances. And having been a while since we've actually read it through all in one go, it's... it's Although it's nice to break it all up into its components, it's also nice to gather it together a little bit. So we've got, um, we've probably got this session and then two more after this to get through it in its entirety. Um, so if you can bear with me for another two after this one, we should uh, we should be finishing uh, with the Book of Jude at that stage, or at least. We will. We will. <laughs> all right. All right. Thank you. As long as as long as no one comes in the interim and takes us all up, and then you know I, I won't have to do it anymore. He'll do it for us. Um, but I might I might quickly read through and get us to so where we left off actually was the uh, the three corruptors in Cain, Cain Balaam, and Korah uh, in verse eleven, and I'll read through to uh, to uh, where are we? I'll go down to verse fifteen because I'm hoping we can get there today. So we'll do uh, twelve to fifteen today. So as a as a as a reread through. So Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to them that are sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ and called, mercy unto you and peace and love be multiplied. This is Jude's introduction to, to, to who he is and, uh, and what he's wanting for us as, as brothers and sisters in Christ. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful me, for me to write to you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. For there are certain men crept in unawares who were before old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying our only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. So verse 3 and 4, I was going to write to you about the common salvation. Something's happening within the church and I need to call attention to it. What is it? That certain men have crept in unawares. Who are these men? They're ungodly men and they're turning God's grace into something sinful. Uh, one of the ones that I'll call out because it relates to some of the verses that we're doing. This is before old ordain to this condemnation. So he's making reference here to these people. The outcome of these individuals and their sin has been from the beginning of all time. God knows where they're going and what, what he's got in store for them. Not that he wants that to be there for us, but for those that are denying the Lord, as it says in, in verse 4, there is an outcome. It is, it is ordained. It is of old ordained, and it's for condemnation. And we'll go through that, and that'll be very obvious in some of the verses we look at today. So at this point, it's an introduction. This is what's happening. And then he really breaks it down into multiple historical examples. God's condemnation of the sin of these individuals. And each time he recaps it with an example of these individuals that he's calling attention to. So verse 5, 6, and 7 are historical examples. I will therefore put you in remembrance, though ye once knew this, how that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterwards destroyed them that believed not. So this is, this is Israel's rebellion in, from the book of Numbers. And the angels which kept not their estate, but left their own habitation, he hath reserved in everlasting chains, under darkness, unto the judgment of the great day. And if you remember, that's from the book of Enoch. That was the angelic rebellion, so not the rebellion... Of, of Satan and the, and, the, and the angels that he convinced to, to rebel against God. This was a, a, a rebellion after the Lord had created the world and, uh, and, and sin had already been introduced. This was, this was a sin of the angels against God, denying his authority over them and them seeking joy and love outside of, of, of what God had ordained for them. So it was an angelic rebellion against his authority over them. Even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them in manner, giving 
themselves over to fornication and going after strange flesh, are set forth for an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Again, very familiar with the book of Sodom and Gomorrah. And each of these is an example with a little bookend of what happened. Verse 5, afterwards destroyed them that believed believe not. Verse 6, reserved in everlasting change under darkness unto the judgment of the great day. Uh, verse 7, um, uh, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. So in each one, here's a historical example, here's their outcome. It's happened since the beginning of time. It will continue to happen until the coming of the Lord. And there's a repeated theme of until the Lord's return. Okay, and, and, and there's some fantastic um, uh, word usage that he uses in some of the, the verses that we get to today that will really emphasize how confident Jude is in the Lord's return, which I think we can all, all, all lean on that um, in times where we're, where we're facing these sorts of, uh, this sort of opposition. So verse 8, <clears throat> so we've had the three examples and now he's bringing it back into focus. This is what's happening within the church. Likewise, are the same people also, these filthy dreamers, defile the flesh, despise dominion and speak evil over dignities. Another triplet that refers to the three verses beforehand. Um, despising dominion as the angels did, speak evil of dignities as, as, as Israel did, rebelling against the authority of God and defiling the flesh like Sodom and Gomorrah. So his, his three examples, it's happening today within your church and these men have crept in unawares. You need to be aware of them. Then we had another example uh, and this was, this was a, a comparison of, of what I referred to as moral relativism versus uh, spiritual maturity and, and discernment. So we had yet Michael, you know, so in verse 9, yet Michael the archangel when contending with the devil he disputed about the body of Moses durst not bring against him a railing accusation but said the Lord rebuke thee. So this was from the, uh, the testimony of Moses. This is another um, 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 non-canonical reference that um, Jude is making within his letter. Um, and this is an example of someone actually earnestly contending for their faith. It is Michael recognising God's authority over him and not giving in to his feelings of wanting to, 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 to basically tell the devil where to go. He, he bit his tongue and he, 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 he recognised the Lord's authority over him despite being the, 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 you know, the, the head angel, the, the, the one with the most amount of authority at that point under God, he still bowed down to the Lord's authority there. Verse 10, then Drew brings it back, these individuals, but these, these people, these, these individuals that have crept in unaware, these, that's who he's talking to, these people, but these speak evil of those things which they know not, but that they know naturally as brute beasts in those things they corrupt themselves. This is this concept of moral relativism. I know that I'm right because it feels right. My truth is my truth. You hear that all the time these days. This is my truth. This is my, I'm telling you my truth. There's only one truth. It's, it's, it's in the Bible. That's all we need to lean on. If everyone had their own truth, it's absolute chaos as we see. So Jude's letting everybody know, if you're leaning onto your own understanding, you are going to fail. If you follow these individuals in their understanding, you are going to fail. And it's a warning. These people are condemned. They're done. They've, they've rejected the Lord outright, and we'll see in some of the examples that Jude gets very, uh, very um, poetic in, in his examples in the verses we're going to look at today. But there's no doubt in anyone's mind by the end of this letter that, that that's where they're going. But he ends it with, with something very positive, and that'll be the last. We have to get all through them. <laughs> it's only at the end that we get the good news, as, as it is with the Bible as well. Um, there's breadcrumbs along the way, but, but, but we've, got, uh, we've, we've got that shining light at the end of it all, which is wonderful. <clears throat> so now, verse 11, another three examples, and they're rapid fire now. We're not doing, doing you know, 
the, the large slabs of text. He, he just pushes it all out in one. Woe unto them, they have gone in the way of Cain, ran greedily after the error of Balaam for reward, and perished in the grain, gainsaying of Kor. All of these books are in the books of, book of Numbers. Very deliberate um, um, examples that he pulls out of individuals that have corrupted a group. The first three examples were individuals, uh, sorry, they, 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 they were groups of individuals, Israel's rebellion, the angelic rebellion, and, and Sodom and Gomorrah. It was a group mentality. These are individuals that corrupted groups. Another example of this corruption, but something equally important to watch out for, one individual, the, you know, the, 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 the bad apple can spoil uh, all of them. These are individuals that have the ability to corrupt. Be mindful of those. And it's, and it's done in a particular order. It's not the chronological order that's listed in numbers, but it's effectively written in the, um, 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 in the order of severity uh, as evidenced by the, the outcomes of it. Um, oh, we have moved forward. So um, the examples that we had, this is just a very quick summary of, of what we looked at on the very last lesson before I, um, before I left for the holiday break. So Cain influenced others to walk in his moral example. Balaam influenced others to intentionally wander from God's path. And Korah influenced others to challenge God's sovereignty and authority outright. And the condemnation that came, this is the order that's important. Well, the, the, the sin is probably more important to, to recognize it, but the condemnation is, is, is what we should be fearful of most. God's condemnation in the first example was exile. The second was death. The third was divine destruction. There was no doubt in the last one that God's hand was involved. You could look at Cain and go, he exiled himself. You could look at Balaam and go, well, he died in battle. That could have happened. The earth opening up and swallowing hundreds of people and closing back up behind them. God's hand's in that. That's divine retribution, divine justice there. That's not to say that any of them are, 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 are greater or worse sins. God sees all sin equally here. But, but there's a difference between, uh, I guess, you know, a, a, a or, or an example to be made of here in the severity of, of, of God's judgment upon it. Um, so he hates all sin, and we, we acknowledge that, but, but to, to reject his authority over us is, is, is the theme that Jude's really wanting to push home here in these examples. But um, 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 we've got these three examples, like I said, rapid fire, they're all within the book of Numbers, but their order is, is important in that regard. So we stopped here last time. The reason I wanted to repeat it is because, as I said, each time he brings up these triplets of examples or an example of, of these um, uh, historical moments in which God's judgment was, was poured upon these individuals, he then brings up an example. And we stopped before we got to that one uh, last time, or I ran out of time, so apologies for that. So I just wanted to recap that, because now we've got another set of triplets in, in regards to verse 12 and 13, which is the exposure of these individuals that, that, um, that he's talking about. Um, so we had uh, the, the same example in, uh, where are we, 8, in 10, and in 12. This is bringing it into the, into the current period for these individuals that are reading the book. And when I say the current period, that's us today as well. Um, this isn't a letter that's applicable in the day that it was written. It, it's just as applicable then as it is today, and we need to be aware of that. <clears throat> um, so I'll read verse 12 and, and 13 together, and then, then we'll break it down as, as we do each time. So these are spots in your feasts of charity. They feast with you, feeding themselves without fear. I think it's very poetic here, and there's no doubt in anyone's mind at the end of this where Jude's heart is in relation to these individuals. Clouds they are without water, carried about of the winds, Trees whose fruit withereth, without fruit, twice dead, plucked up by the roots, raging waves of the sea, foaming out of their own shame, wandering stars, and then the condemnation, to whom is reserved the blackness of darkness 
forever. Um, first time I read that one, put chills up my spine. It's, it's, it's not where anybody should be. It's not where God wants us to be. And it should be all of our hopes pinned and, and, and certainly pinned to the Lord saving us from that. And it should be inspiring for us, as it says later in this book, to try and save others. Now, we can't save them in our own merit, but we can introduce them to the Word. We can, we can support them from the Word during the times that they need it, and everybody needs it. So there's no excuse for any of us here. We'll, we'll get to that in the, in the last lesson, but I just want to emphasize that here. Let, the, let whatever is happening here, as heavy it is, it is on your heart, be a motivator to try and get out to others and, and to save them from that and introduce them to the Lord. So, breaking this down, back here we've got Feasts of Charity. That is, that is effectively the Lord's Supper. As it was back in the day, it's obviously going to have changed, um, you know, in, in its form and its tradition, and it even changes and, and is differing amongst different denominations in Christianity. The concept of it is the same. It is a recognising of, of a love feast, um, an agape love, a brotherly love feast in recognising what Christ has done for us. He's saying they are spots in your feast. Now, this is, this is where we're going to get a little bit deep here into some of the terminology. And uh, one of the commentaries I read said that he could picture Jude writing this particular word with a smile on his face, knowing the sorts of arguments that people would be having for decades and centuries afterwards. So, we've got two root words that do relate to the... This is the word that's used in the, underly, uh, in the original Greek. There are two source or root words that relate to this word and there's no indication as to which one is there and there are many commentaries, entire books written on this particular word. Uh, it was very surprising to me to find that but there are. So again I've given the Strong's numbers, it's not to say that it's the be all and end all of translation but I just wanted something consistent that we could run through in everything here. There are two words that relate to this. So he's saying these are spots in your feast of charity. These are either the Greek word here, which is spilas, which is hidden rocks or reefs, and this is the preferred translation, and I'll get to that, or spilos, which is a stain or a blemish. Now, both are applicable to this, and I'll go through the, 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 the non-preferred before I go to the preferred. The non-preferred here being a stain or blemish, as we're aware through the history of Jewish tradition, having clean food, being clean to consume this food was of paramount importance. The food that you ate, how it was prepared, how you were preparing for that feast was incredibly important. There was tradition behind that. And again, Jude's writing to Hellenistic Jews uh, and Greeks, but these individuals that would have grown up in that tradition, they hadn't necessarily lost that tradition. They'd adopted others in the Greek culture, but they still would have been preparing and, and, and recognizing that a spot or a blemish within this love feast was something to be absolutely avoided. It, it, it corrupted the entire meal, and this concept of corruption is what Jude's continue, continually talking about in this regard. So to refer to these individuals as corrupting that entire uh, 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 process or corrupting that entire um, um, feast, the Lord's table is being corrupted by these individuals, or powerful uh, uh, image that would be conjured in these individuals' minds. The other one that I like that is the preferred translation is hidden rocks or reefs. You say, well, that, how does that relate to specifically this. The, the, the concept here, uh, you know, you can take literally as a, as a rock or a reef, but that's obviously not what's being referred to in this particular context. A lot of these individuals were fishermen or grew up in, in fishing port. They were very aware of how this works, and we'll get to some of the other um, um, terminology that's used here. <clears throat> but a hidden rock or a reef has this concept in, in, in two manners. One, 
If you don't know it's there, you'll run aground. These individuals will trip you up. They will sink you and they will take you down with them. <clears throat> the other thing that uh, I read in the commentary that I wanted to share that I thought was very apt is specifically in relation to this letter was that on, on maps they would draw these reefs so that other, you know, we've been bundled up on this or we've seen it in low tide, we'll draw it on the map. You can avoid it. Even if you've got a map to tell you where it is, if you take your eyes off what you're doing or circumstances like storms, etc., blow you towards them, there is still nothing you do about them. You will run afoul. So when we're talking about earnestly contending and being diligent within our faith, that we need to keep our eyes on the prize here. It is not a passive thing. The terminology that's used throughout the book of Jude is active. It is happening now and we need to be aware of it. It is, it is not something that we can sit back on. These rocks or reefs, they're out there. If we're not paying attention, we will run, a, we will run afoul of them. And he's saying that in these love feasts, you are celebrating the Lord in these moments. You have spots and blemishes or you have individuals that will run you aground and you need to be aware of those. So um, it's a play on words and, and I said at the very beginning it was fantastic. Uh, th this book is fantastic at play on words and double entendres and, and alliteration and triplets and he's using everything within the, the literary arsenal to be able to pull this very short letter together and pack it with as much information as he can. So I, for one word, he's able to get two meanings. And as I said, there have been arguments about this for a very long time. There's still, no one's going to, to, to end on this one. But the fact that he's been able to, to have this play on words, this double usage of, of, of this root word and get that in there and say, the, take your pick. They're either corrupting it or they're going to bring you down. Be aware of it. Yes. I'm not, I'm not entirely aware of, of all of the usages of, of, of this feast concept throughout the Bible, but my understanding of it in this particular context is specifically the Lord's Table, this, this, this agape feast. It's a, it's, a brotherly, it's, a, it's a Christian brotherly love. So the, the Greek term that, that, that prefaces this, um, uh, what is it, agapeis, is, is, agape is almost entirely used in relation to a brotherly, a Christian love. Exactly. Yes. Yeah, sorry. In that context, yes. Yeah. Uh, I, I'd say they run in parallel. I don't know if you need to separate the two of them, um, uh, but it's more a case of, of, of whether you're whether you're doing it in someone's home and having a good time with them and trying to, to 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 just discuss the Lord with them, or it's specifically the Lord's table. I don't know if you need to separate them. At the end of the day, these individuals are still blemishes in that conversation, and they will still run you afoul if need be. Um, so the specific root word, I'm probably not as, as familiar in being able to pull it apart, but be aware of them in both contexts. I think that that makes sense in relation to what Jude's talking about here. It doesn't have to be at church. Uh, they, they will influence you outside of the church if, 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 if possible. Um, but, but good question. I, I, I think in my mind, I wouldn't separate the two. I would say, regardless of whether it's a feast of charity, specifically the Lord's table, or outside of that context, but still in a, in a Christian conversation, a group having a coffee, um, 
be mindful of these individuals. You, they can they can run you afoul. Probably more so outside of the Lord's Supper, where you're where you where you're one on one, or you're you're having these conversations to be led astray. But thank you, thank you for the question. Um, we're going for time. All right. <laughs> it might be uh, might have to add another one at the end. I don't know. Um, okay. So feeding themselves, uh, feeding themselves without fear. So feeding themselves here. Is, uh, is the concept, uh, or it very much calls to mind, if, uh, if we're familiar enough with the passage, uh, Ezekiel 34, 1-8. Um, I won't read the entirety of it, but I'll, I'll, I'll give you some call-outs here. Um, so it's, 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 it's the Lord talking here, um, um, uh, giving, giving this prophecy against the shepherds of Israel. And the Lord starts getting, he said, in the middle of verse 2, he says, Woe be to the shepherds of Israel that do feed themselves, should not the shepherds feed the flocks. Now, it was not uncommon for the term shepherds here to also refer to kings and royalty of the time. It didn't necessarily mean shepherds as in pastors and, 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 and anybody in a religious authority, but also any authority and dominion over an individual. The Lord's condemning anyone that effectively has authority over individuals in, in this passage um, at, at, at feeding themselves. I will take care of myself before I take care of others. This selfishness, this introspective focus that repeats itself with these examples of, of, of these interlopers. So the Lord here in Ezekiel 34, 1-8, when he's talking about shepherd, uh, feeding themselves, in, in the Greek, this is shepherding themselves, um, uh, this concept from, from, from the Hebrew in Ezekiel. So what we need to recognize here is that these individuals are taking care of themselves. He's painting a picture of the behaviours and the attitudes of these individuals. That's how we're going to spot them. And it's very evident in, in, in this verse and in the next verse how we can spot them. They are hidden. Jude's calling attention to this. He's, he's, he's shooting the flare above us to let us know this is happening. But they're not out and out. This isn't obvious to everybody. He wouldn't have had to have written the letter if it was obvious to everybody. But he's calling attention to their behaviours and their attitudes. That's how you'll know them. Okay? <clears throat> The other concept here, this is a, a bit of a play on words as well. This is without fear, right? So this is fearlessly. So the adverb here adds a, a negative particle to the word, phobos, which is which we get uh, a phobia. So this is a fear or a terror, but it is also used as a reverence towards God. So if we have a look at uh, Ephesians, uh, where are we? Ephesians chapter 5, 21. Submitting yourselves... One to, well, I'll go back one, one step just because it's kind of out of context for that, well, that one. Yeah, so verse 20, I'll start it. Uh, giving thanks for all things under God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting yourselves one another in the fear of God. Right? Now fear here is this respect, this admiration, this understanding of God's divine authority over us. I have a fear of reverence towards God or I can have a fear as, as in a phobia. I'm afraid of something. The same word in, in, in the Greek exists in both of those contexts, but it both applies in the book of Jude. You can read it in both contexts and it still works. They're feeding themselves without fear. They either don't have a fear of God or they're doing it openly in front of everyone and they don't care. There's no fear within them for being caught out because they're hidden amongst you. So the concept of fear works in both regards here. A fear as in a reverence towards God or a fear is in, oh, I'm afraid for something. But the adverb that's here, the negative particle to that, is the without fear. I have no fear. I don't respect God's authority, and I have no fear of what I'm doing within the flock. 
Okay, so it's a bit of a double entendre. Double entendre basically being where you can uh, have the same word or, or a turn of a phrase that has a double meaning. A lot of the time, it's it's used in a sort of in a in a sexual manner. That isn't necessarily how it always needs to be used. And that's obviously the example here. Um, sometimes it's done if, if something's sort of socially awkward or just difficult to say. You you use this sort of terminology. Now, Jude doesn't shy away from anything difficult to say, so I don't think that's the reason he's using it. But plays on words, this was the culture of the time. They loved this. It's, it's sparking their mind and they're, they're enjoying this. Even though the letter is difficult, he's, he's putting these breadcrumbs in there. So spots is still, uh, spots versus uh, reefs or rocks is still a debate that's happening today. And it's getting people talking about it. And it would have spread this letter like wildfire in addition to the message itself. It just would have been, been highly charged for the words that he's used previously in, in other lessons when we referred to just the way he referred to law, the, the Lord as being the sovereign over all was contrary to all the laws that were happening at that time in the Roman Empire versus the terms that he's using here that would have sparked conversation and debate amongst the, the, the intellectual elites of the time, which is who he was writing this to, to try and save them and, and warn them of these individuals. So here we've got, we've got two lots of, of plays on words. Now we're getting going to, uh, to move into the, um, the, the sort of most poetic element of the, of the book, but there's a, a, a lot to get through here. So I'll, uh, I'll, I'll go back because we've said they're, they're feeding themselves without fear and then he just rolls off the tongue here. Clouds are without water, carried about by the winds, trees whose fruit withereth without fruit, twice dead, plucked up by the roots, raging waves of the sea foaming out of their own shame, wandering stars and the condemnation to whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. Now, when you're looking at this, um, another commentary that I was reading sort of opened my eyes to the fact that clouds without water carried about by the wind is the air, trees without fruit twice dead plucked up by the roots is the earth, raging waves of the sea foaming out of their own shame is the sea. So you've got, you've got land, air and water and then you've got wandering stars in, in reference to, to space. There's not anything deeper within that but the poetry of that and being able to look at the entirety of the world and this corrupting force within each of them is something to be acknowledged. It is, it is, it is permeating, it is everywhere, and he's calling it out rather poetically here. But there's, uh, there's a lot of references that we can look at um, in relation to these. So clouds without water, we've basically got a reference here in, uh, in, in Proverbs, chapter 25, verse 14. Whosoever boasteth... Boasts, ah, sorry, I'm getting dry mouth. Whoso boasteth... Himself of a false gift is like clouds and wind without rain. The definition, it, it, you know, it's, it's, it, this is open to, I guess, your own personal interpretation here, but this imagery would have very much resonated with the audience and, and brought it to the, 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 the Old Testament to their doorstep and, and creating these visuals that really worked in rural Palestine. Right? You've got farmers, you've got fishermen, you've got this, all of these individuals, the, the, the land and everything surrounding that was their livelihood and they spent all day in it. Right? So this is, this is very much bringing it uh, home to them. But the individuals that he's talking about here, and the, 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 everything that's underlined on the next two slides this is my interpretation, my definition. I'm not giving anything, you know, it's nothing revolutionary here. Your own interpretation can apply to this. But this is, this is me sort of turning... A, a poetic translation into something that we can recognise in individuals today. These are basically empty promises and boasting. Looking at that reference in Proverbs, which is, is similar, we're, we're, we're talking about individuals. They promise everything and they boast of everything. They deliver nothing. You will know them by their works. Their works are useless. Carried about of the winds. If we look at Ephesians 
<coughs> pardon me, Ephesians 4.14, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro. So here we're talking about individuals that after they've been saved, we are n- no more children that are tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. So saying when we're saved, we can recognize these individuals with greater ability. God's not going to point them out for us. There's no hand of God coming down and saying, seat 7F, um, cast him out. No, we need to be aware of this. We're not there to punish, but we need to be aware of these individuals. Once we are saved here, this, this reference in Ephesians, we, can, we will be able to recognize them, but we don't want to be carried around by the wind of doctrine. So if you're hearing individuals that are, hey, did God really say that? No, don't be carried around. Test it through the word of God. What have we got here? Following nothing of substance. They've got no substance to them. So they boast of everything. They've got no substance to the words they're saying. They've been carried about by the winds. What they say one week will change to another with with their feeling, with their truth. Okay? So let's recognize them on that. Now, I've put late autumn here because some uh, translation of the Bible will have uh, uh, referred to late autumn. The reason I wanted to put that in there again, that's harvest time. All right? And there's a lot of... A lot of references here throughout the Bible in relation to, to fruit as being spiritual fruit, whether it be, be the fruits of our labor or the fruits of our, our works for the Lord, fruit and, and, and harvest time are there. So although late autumn isn't in the King James version of it, it is, it is generally accepted that that is the time that we're referring to here when we're talking about this particular concept. Trees whose fruit withereth without fruit, twice dead, plucked up by the roots. Twice dead is, is something I wanted to call out. That is this concept of a, of a physical death and a spiritual death being that permanent separation from God. You'll die and be buried, but you've got a second death after that. You've got life eternity through the Lord, and you've got a second death cast into condemnation, which is this repeated theme of, of, of the Lord's punishment. My apologies, do we go to 10.15 or 10? 10, 10.15, I think, thank you. <laughs> right, I've got a few more minutes. Okay. So uh, the reference here that, that, that you can call attention to, if you, again, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to um, not say that Jude is specifically making references to these areas, but really to test an interpretation or an understanding with another element of the Bible, which we should be doing in our own personal study. Um, so again, this isn't the be-all and end-all, but, but these are references that I think relate or, or parallel what Jude's talking about here. This is an important one. Now, this specifically is talking against false teachers, and as I said from the beginning, I'm not dismissing that the book of Jude doesn't call out false teachers, but the, there are also individuals that are sub to that, that are, that are in the background that we need to recognise. So this one specifically in, in Matthew is referring to false teachers. As it starts, beware of false prophets, which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. Okay? Ye shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes or thorns or figs or thistles? Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Wherefore, by their fruits ye shall know them. Let's use this in comparison and and, and in complement with Jude. It is by their fruits that we will recognize these individuals. These are false prophets that generate nothing of worth. There is no spiritual fruit within them. Again, my interpretation, but just to sort of, to sort of bring these literary things back to, to, to what we can see um, uh, in, in these individuals. <clears throat> Raging waves foaming out of their own shame. 
Uh, a reference that I've got here is uh, Isaiah 57.20. But the wicked are like a troubled sea when it cannot rest. Those waters cast up mire and dirt. These are unpredictable individuals and they are chaotic as, as waves are. Now, I'll get a little bit deep on this one as well and I've given examples or I've made reference to this in the past. There's a few of them but this is a, a good example to call out here. Um, and don't worry if you don't want to absorb everything in this sentence. It's a bit, a bit of a long one. But the root word here, foaming out of in Greek, is <coughs> the only time that this word appears in the Bible. However, the reference to this that we've got in Isaiah only exists in the Hebrew versions of the Old Testament. Now, that's not the case today. We've got many, many translations. But at the time, there was a predominant Greek translation and it was the Septuagint. Okay, thank you. I'm not going to attempt to pronounce that one. Anyway, I'll, I'll give a brief explanation as to what that was. That was effectively the Greek translation of the Hebrew law. Um, it was written by Jewish scholars around uh, 300 to 200 BC. And the name of it, basically that means 70 in Latin. That was the amount of scholars that were said to have participated in that translation. So as I said before, he'll use Old Testament references from Hebrew. Well, the predominant Greek translation at the time omitted this concept at the, uh, within Isaiah. Not, not omitted, but it was, it was not part of the translation in which, and I've lost my place, those waters cast up mire and dirt. That particular element wasn't there, but he's recalling that from Isaiah very specifically when he's talking about these raging waves foaming out of their own shame. But he's using the Old Testament Hebrew version to do it. So anybody that was very familiar with that text would have had this internal moment of, okay, he's making this reference that it's not in the current Greek translation at that time, and that is not to say that there weren't other Greek translations that included that, but the predominant one at the time did not contain that particular reference. So he's using Old Testament references in Hebrew in a letter to Greek, to Hellenized Jews and, and, and to Greeks of the time. <clears throat> and don't worry if you didn't get all that. It's, it's not super important, but it was just to validate some of the comments that I've made in, uh, in, in, in previous um, lessons. It doesn't take away or add anything to the actual uh, uh, interlopers themselves in which they are unpredictable and chaotic in nature. Wandering stars. Now the concept here, and I, I, there are references many times to stars, but what I wanted to call out here specifically in relation to his concept of wandering stars, again back in these times navigation was via the stars, whether it be on foot at night, whether it be on, on a boat in the ocean, that's how you did it. Wandering stars was a reference that, that was effectively made to heavenly bodies, planets and shooting stars, etc., that were not fixed coordinates, that you could not set your, your sextant or your map or, or how you were working by. <coughs> the concept of, of a wandering star, even in the, uh, prior to all of this, uh, uh, prior to the Greeks having a better understanding of these heavenly bodies, and, and bodies in the physical sense, um, uh, of these planets and stars, the concept of these wandering stars in the Old Testament, they were leading people astray. I would not be able to set my course on it, and if I did, I would end up where I did not want to be. And that is why he's calling these individuals wandering stars. They're unreliable, they're untrustworthy, they are misleading. So wandering stars in the Old Testament reference, or not in the Old Testament reference, but in that time period, they were considered before there was this understanding of, of, of what planets and, and, and other heavenly bodies were, that these were mischievous beings or other gods that were leading people astray. 
So again, depending upon your understanding or your education or who was reading this, they would either have an understanding of it that it was something deceitful that was happening in mischievous in the background, or it was something literal that I cannot follow because I will be led astray. It's the same concept in both, though. You cannot rely on these individuals. They are untrustworthy. They are misleading. This is the, the, the behavior or the attitude of these individuals that you need to be mindful of. So, so wandering here, you can see the root word uh, it makes reference to, to, to planet as it exists in, in our word today. It is derived, actually, from the same root word, error, that we've got earlier in the book of Jude in relation to... Apologies, I flipped to the wrong page. Uh, in relation to verse 11, when they ran greedily after the error of Balaam. And we, we, we read when we were doing the, the, the root words in the translation here, running greedily after the error of Balaam, um, it was a deliberate choice to move off God's path. That was, that was where that terminology referred to. So although we're saying, well, these individuals are, are unreliable, untrustworthy, misleading, and we can see from the references that we've got in Jude and what he's telling us, we will recognize these individuals by their fruit. Again, if we're not paying attention, we'll get hung up on the reefs that he makes reference to at the beginning of verse 12. Um, the, the, these spots, these reefs, these, these, these unseen individuals that will trip us up. But we can wander off that path deliberately as well. You'll, you'll hear individuals, you'll hear messages that don't quite resonate, but it's interesting, and let me follow that. I want to I take that down. If, if, if it's not edifying for you, and the behaviours of these individuals are testing and proving themselves against the Bible to show these behaviours, don't follow it. Walk away from it, okay? Reject it. That's what, is, that's what we're making reference to here. And at the very end, as, as Jude has done each time, and this one brings it home because every time we've had historical examples is followed with condemnation, but when he brings it into focus with the individuals that he's talking about of the day, this is the first time that there's God's condemnation associated with these individuals. Um, so in all the previous examples, it's been this has happened, that's the condemnation, and then he's just made reference to the behaviours and attitudes of these individuals. But at the end here, we've got it... <coughs> In, the, in just the last, to whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. We're to be kept in darkness forever. We, those individuals, these, 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 these spots, these people that are, are, are turning God's graces into sin, as it says in, uh, in verse 3, <coughs> we've got this, this reference to God's condemnation. And I made reference in the very first lesson when we were talking about all the, uh, the triplets that he uses, this, this concept of, of kept, this reserved, repeats itself. It's there six times, and that's not a triplet in and of itself, but three times Jude makes reference uh, to, to being kept in a salvation sense, kept until the Lord's day, kept forever, and three times in relation to condemnation, being kept until the Lord comes to finally put an end to this sin and punish those individuals. So we can compare that to, and, and the, the word here uh, it sort of switches between preserved, reserved and kept. In verse 1, preserved in Jesus Christ and called. In verse 6, the angels kept not their first estate and he hath kept in everlasting chains um, to darkness. We've got the reference in, in verse 13 here, who, to whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. And then we've got um, um, the positive one, oh sorry, my apologies. Uh, yes, the positive one in verse 21 coming, keeping yourselves in the love of God. So that's, uh, that's what we can look at there. And, and Matthew, uh, Matthew 8, 12 um, re-emphasizes this concept of, of, of what this, this darkness relates to. But the children of the kingdom shall be cast out into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. 
This reference here is, is, is of hell. It is the final punishment that is, that, is, that is there for everybody that rejects Christ. <coughs> and I think we're out of time. Okay. We'll do the prophecy of Enoch next time. Um, I'll do a quick prayer and then we'll wrap it up. But thank you all for, uh, for listening to that one. Um, it was a lot to get through, but, uh, but we made it. All right. <coughs> uh, dear Lord, thank you once again that we've, we've had this time to be able to, uh, to, to really sort of break apart and, and, and understand your word, Lord. Um, I'm hoping that through um, this series, um, our eyes would be opened to how deep your understanding of, of us is, how you're able to speak to us um, as individuals through all of our experiences, through all of the things that we've, uh, that we've got in our hearts and in our minds, Lord, that, uh, that, in, that in one simple letter, uh, the complexity of, of your mind is uh, a small portion of it is, is shown to us. I thank you, Lord, that we've got this letter. I thank you that we've got time to, uh, to, to understand it. And I pray, Lord, that each one of us will be able to make application in their own way, that, uh, that, that it would be something that we'd be able to carry with us and, uh, and use in defense uh, of your word, uh, in defense of our salvation. And, uh, and that we would all earnestly contend for our faith as, as, um, as Jude has charged us. So I pray, Lord, that we'd be able to get, uh, get through the next um, few se- uh, series, a few se- uh, next few Sundays, um, to, to finish off your word, Lord. But, uh, but I thank you again for everybody that, uh, that's here today that, um, that wanted to, to read from your word. Uh, we ask all of this in your precious name. Amen. <coughs>